0: I want to direct your attention to your bulletin. uh, Pull this out, if you would, just for a second. Um, On the inside uh, cover, on the right side, what you'll see is a little tradition we have here at Neighborhood Bible Church, which is um, during the holiday season, which we're entering into, uh, we, we tend to bring some focus to some areas that really we would pray God would have on our hearts all year long. Uh, we don't want to be the type of individual, the type of Christian uh, that lifts their eyes and, and is awake to the needs of our community one time a year. Um, everyone gives at Christmas, right? Uh, that's just the season of giving. That's when you see those. Um, we want to be doing this all year long. But as a part of our heartbeat of that, what we realize is that there's there's this focused time in the next couple of months um, when, when our neighbors, our community, and us – We'll be focused in thinking on these things. So here are just a couple of, of opportunities for you that I would strongly encourage you. Uh, some of you have participated in something like these before. We've, we've done different kinds of things. Um, but coming up in November uh, is our San Francisco Homeless Outreach. Uh, you'll see a, a shopping cart over here uh, for the next several weeks. And what that's for is for you to be bringing um, different items. We've got a few things listed here. You can go on our website for uh, some more information on this. Uh, but blankets, um, socks, hoodie sweatshirts, beanies, uh, the way I describe it really is go spend uh, 15 minutes sleeping on your driveway tonight um, and then get a sense of what you would want if that was your night every night. And that will just give you a picture of the kinds of things to bring. So you can actually bring those on a Sunday. We'll fill up that shopping cart if we have more, which I hope we do. We'll be storing it elsewhere. So so be bringing that in. That's a visual reminder for you to participate that. And then on, on the 18th, if you're able to join us, we'd recommend somewhere around in our family, it's a coming of age thing, that when you turn 13, you get to go on the San Francisco Homeless Outreach with dad. Before that, we don't do it. Because we're up there from 9 o'clock to about 1130. Um, and it's, it is what it is in San Francisco from 9 o'clock to 11.30 at night. Um, so I would recommend probably not younger than 13, um, unless they're an exceptional, uh, you know, exception to that. But we'll go up and we'll just wander the streets, uh, be able to lay hands on people, pray with people, um, disperse things, uh, give the dignity of looking in the eyes of someone who's been out there. Uh, many of them know us because we've been doing this for about seven years. Uh, and so we'll see some of the same uh, friends of ours out there that are, that are doing their thing. Uh, but I invite you to, to come along on November 18th. Um, also, you'll notice now a little wall of plastic boxes in the back. Um, that's not for neat freaks to come and store and sort their things. Um, it's, uh, it's Those boxes represent... Uh, a gift that's going to be given and shipped all around the world. Many of you are familiar with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Wendy, could you come up and just give uh, a short synopsis? There's one person in here wearing a hat, and that's what cues me as to who's going to talk about this. And so, uh, Wendy. Here, use this, Wendy. Good
1: morning. Um, It's been a joy and a privilege to be a part of this opportunity called Operation Christmas Child. Last year we sent out 122 boxes. Our goal was 100. So that is super exciting. I raised the bar a little bit to 150. We have 100 boxes in the back. Um, You can pack them for a boy or a girl, certain age age ranges. School supplies and hygiene items are big ticket items. We also have donation bins. If you're like, you know what? I really don't have any desire to pack a little box. But I would love to contribute. We have um, boxes designated for toys, school supplies, hygiene, and other items. In each box, there's a packing list, so you have uh, suggestions on what you can give. Also hard candy and uh, Ziploc baggies are important too because if you give, uh, because they don't, a lot of kids around the world don't get hard candy, especially American hard candy. Uh, It's a big deal. And um, so, yeah, it's um, amazing the stories that you hear of the children receiving these boxes. And I hope next week to be able to share one of those testimonies of uh, seeing children actually getting these boxes and what a difference it makes in their life. So thank you.
0: Thanks, Wendy. You'll be hearing more about that just in the weeks to come. Thank you. and then one other one that we have uh, that more inform- information will be coming, but many of you are familiar with it, it's called the Help One Child Christmas Party. Um, Ron and Vivian Rose have been on the front lines of foster care for a couple of decades now. Uh, Ron is in China, Vivian is in Portland, so some of our big spokespersons for it are not with us this morning, but in the weeks ahead you'll learn more about this too. It's basically a Christmas party that many of you have participated in. Uh, it's hosted by a church up the peninsula a little bit, and it's just an opportunity to um, to just be a blessing to the, the many in our, in our own county who are going to bed tonight without a father, without a mother, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a system. And, um, and it's just an opportunity to, to acknowledge that and give and help, uh, help that cause out a little bit. Uh, I need Klink and I need Lisa to come on up right now. Um, many of you know that, uh, for the last two years now, uh, we've been praying and, and just asking God how He would use some of our back parking lot, uh, area, some of our back lot. And we've used some of it for parking. Uh, In October of 2010, we began a a community garden. Uh, At the forefront of that, when I went to the elders with this, we put it in the budget before we really had um, a complete vision for it. But we knew God wanted to do something. And God was lining up so many things that was indicating that a a garden was going to be the vision behind it. The elders told me that what had to happen with that is that's a great idea, but you can't lead it. And that was a great call. Uh, I began praying. I said, God, I really, we need someone in this role who will champion this, um, who will keep at the forefront what we're doing with our garden. We're not trying to win. Uh, the best pumpkin award at the county fair. We're not trying to get the best tomatoes for our salad. This is a whole this whole thing is to be a blessing to the community and build a bridge so that we can share the gospel with people. And so uh Clink stepped in in October of 2010 um, and for the last 2 years that ministry has been a little metaphor of what a garden's all about. There's been some hard ground to break up. There's been some tilling. I'm going to butcher all the garden terms. Clink's going to just get mad in a second. But there's been planting. There's been fertilizing. There's been all this stuff. And it hasn't been just this giant season of growth, although we've been able to see God move and work in that. Um, and right now, we are in a season where God's raised up and is transitioning. And this morning we're making the announcement um, that Lisa Downey is going to be uh, the new director of the Garden Ministry. Um, so give it up for Lisa. Um, I want to say this too. Uh, this is just one of the reasons I want this up front is this. We say all the time um, that if, if this church were limited to just a few leaders uh, so, sort of at the top, that we're dreaming up all the things we should be doing, this church would be stifled. We would be, we would be laser focused on a few things that a few people dream up. Uh, we believe in the Bible, and the Bible teaches that the, the priesthood of all believers, that all of us possess the Holy Spirit if we believe in Jesus Christ, right? So, therefore, we are constantly challenging people. We're challenging you to say, as you see a need, as God raises up a ministry in you, you act on it. You come to the leaders, and we'll pray with you. We'll help enable you. According to Ephesians, we're to be equipping you for ministry. And this is an exact picture of that. The beautiful thing is that Clink isn't walking away in a huff. Instead, he's going to stay on as an incredible part of the Garden Ministry. But what we've recognized in Lisa is that God's really raised up Lisa for a new season of this ministry as we go um, even more into the community with it. So, before we move on, I just want to give my thanks to Clink. Um, to, to he had a hard role for two years uh, pressing forward in this ministry. Uh, so, Clink. <laughs> We're not, we're not really a clap happy church here where we just do this all the time. Uh, and I can assure you that for two years he didn't pour blood, sweat, and tears into this for that. Uh, but, but it is, but it is good to acknowledge. Uh, it is just good to acknowledge though and say, um, there are so many times where, where I just pull up and clinks here all the time um with this and it's been a it's been a really really cool thing and a neat season that God's that God's brought it through. I want to give Lisa a couple of minutes just to share um not only some of the things on her heart but also just um how, how you can be involved in it as well. So Lisa.
2: So we started coming to this church less than a year ago and the very first Sunday that I came here um there were two things that made me want to come back. And one was that within five minutes of coming in here, somebody came up and welcomed me and said, hey, you look like you're new here. What's your name? And, and I was thrilled by that. And it, it was so warm and amazing. The second thing is that I looked in the bulletin and I saw that this church had a garden director. And I was like, what church has a garden? That's just amazing. And what that said to me was this was a church that was looking at ministry in a completely different way and looking at who they were in the community in a completely different way. And I thought, you know what? I like these people. <laughs> I want to stay here. So um, from that from that moment, I've been interested in the garden, but not because it's a place where you grow vegetables. To me, um, well, I'll just tell you what, what the Lord showed me this week, and that is that at the very beginning of Genesis, there were people in a garden. And at the very end of Revelation, there are people at a feast. And what I'm looking at is... Um, when we think about the lot in the back of this church, it's not just a lot, and it's not even about growing vegetables. It's about getting as many people in this neighborhood to that feast at the end of Revelation as possible. And so that's exciting to me. Um, It's exciting because I look at this, and I think this is about people's bodies. It's about their souls, and it's about their spirits. And it's our church's opportunity to do something really unique in this neighborhood with the tools and the resources that we've been given. So... um, As a result of that, I wanted to invite all of you to what we're going to call a garden interaction next Sunday. I didn't want to call it a meeting because to me a meeting sounds like something where you come and sit and listen. And that's not what this is going to be. This is going to be all of us moving and thinking and planning and praying together about how God wants us to be involved in outreach in this community. So even if you are not interested in vegetables, I would still encourage you to come to this meeting this interaction, sorry, <laughs> and and just think with the body of Christ. We need all of your ideas and all of your um, creativity. So it's going to be next Sunday at six thirty to eight, and it's just going to be in the back room here. And please come. This is not you're not signing up on the dotted line forever and ever, Amen. This is just a one time thing to think and pray and strategize about what the Lord would have for us in this neighborhood. Awesome, awesome.
0: Let me, let me just pray for the two of you before you go God, I just thank you for um, the ministry that you've welled up in, in our hearts, God. We recognize and give you all the glory. It's your grace to lift our eyes from our own needs to the needs of other people. That's a, that's a picture of you working in our lives. God, I pray for Clink uh, right now. I thank you for him, God, being willing and having eyes of faith to step out and follow your leading even though it wasn't a clear path. I thank you, God, for his perseverance. Um, Lord, we talked a few weeks ago about patiently suffering, and Klink has has poured his his life into this. I I see it, Lord. I see that he's done it unto you. I pray that you'd richly reward him for that. I thank you, God, that as we're seeing some fruit and uh, we have uh, renewed vision and renewed clarity, God, that you would fill up these two, Lord, to work together. I pray that many would come around them, uh, some who are skilled at gardening, many who are not, God, that that have a heart and eyes to see um ways to bless and minister to the whole to the whole being uh, of people in this neighborhood. God, our heart really is is for those around us, Lord, who haven't tasted uh, even a crumb of your love and of the fellowship and the warmth that Lisa described. Um God, we pray that you would use the resources that you've entrusted to us uh to just be a blessing God to this community. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks guys. All right, uh children, you are now dismissed uh to head off to your classrooms. And the rest of you can open up to James 5. We are, uh, we're wrapping up James. We're getting right near to the end of the book. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, investing well. And it was a message to the rich. We talked about planning well. Uh, not that long ago, and the idea of, as we make plans, we submit it to this term, Lord willing, uh, and that we don't have all the answers. We shouldn't plan as though we're sovereign. Um, And then last week, we were were reminded to speak well, letting our yes be yes and letting our no be no. And this week, James is talking about praying well. And um, I don't know if you can think back to how you learned to pray but we all learn to pray at some point. And this week, uh, it's, it's our son Eli that, um, kind of captured my imagination with this. Uh, we're at the dinner table and, uh, food's getting ready to be served up and, um, and all of a sudden what we realized was, um, was that Eli, he's two years old, uh, he kind of had his hands, you know, together somehow and he was, and the spirit came on Eli and he, he began to just pray. And what we realized is we should join in with him. So we decided to let Eli lead the prayer that night. It's not uncommon for many of us to pray at, at, at meal times and to let different kids do it. And so, um, so Eli led the, the meal prayer at dinner this week. Um, and uh, and as is true when you're in kindergarten or learning anything, uh, what happened was he got praying and he couldn't land the plane. Uh, he was praying away and we were praying along with him. And and he just kept going. And he just he was kind of looking around, realizing that a hush had fallen over the the, the the table and uh and he just kept on praying, you know, and I was like, you know, I was trying to think, you know, should you ever cut off prayer? I mean, I that, something about that just doesn't feel right. Um but at the same time I was hungry and um and I, I didn't know how long this would go on. And so so at some point, um I just said, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. And and he said Amen, and we all cheered. You know, it was just this great uh, it was this great celebration. Um, but but we all learn to pray uh, in in some way. And and I would venture to guess that along you know along the path, there's 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 people in this room, uh, some of who maybe uh, have only prayed a, a handful of times in their life. Uh, maybe some who are real prayers, and and they've just been praying for a really long time. Some of you watched the debates uh, that have gone on the last couple of weeks, and this last one in particular. Are was interesting because it gave the opportunity, and this dawned on me with this passage by mind. It gave the opportunity for a college student to address the president of the United States, to stand a few feet away, and to be able to stand up and ask a question. And not only that, but but the president came over, and to you know, both the candidates are are, are wanting to do this, but to give a good impression that they're really there. And he came over, and he was just right there talking to regular people. And I thought, wow, what a, what an interesting picture. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Both candidates, I mean, you're getting their ear, sort of, right? You're bending the ear of the candidate, sort of. I mean, they're listening to you, and they've repeated your name. You know, well, thanks, Ben. That's a great question. But what we all know, at least those of us, you know, who are somewhat perceptive, we we know that they want to talk about what they want to talk about, and as the questions asked, they're already they, they don't care about the person really beyond that question. You know what I'm saying? So so we're getting their ears, sort of. But but I thought, man, that's a picture. That's a picture of prayer according to the Bible. The Bible says that, that at the root of it all, we're bending God's ear when we pray, that we're really being listened to. That, that as it were, God, God is coming over and really is saying, Ben, what is it? What is it, Ben? And so if you're at all impressed that a college student gets to talk to the president, then be infinitely more wowed by the fact that God would have his ear bent toward us in prayer. And that's a picture of what we're talking about. Now, if you ever want to humble someone, you just ask them about their prayer life, okay? So here's how that goes. If you you ask someone about their prayer life and they're not prayers, then what they know so they don't pray hardly at all. You know, when they're in a foxhole and before a test, that's when they pray. Then when you ask them about it, they're not prayers, and so they recognize that their need to grow. But if you've gone to the most deep prayer that you've ever met in life, and you ask them about their prayer life, here's what's interesting. They're so far down the road from us at developing the inner life that they recognize this deep want in their life and their deep need to grow in prayer. Isn't that interesting? So no matter if you're, you're way at the beginning and you recognize, yeah, I don't, there's a lot of room to grow with me in prayer, or somewhere in the middle, or somewhere way advanced from the average person, we all have this sense that says, that's an area of my life that needs to grow, that I have some, some need and some lack in. William Carey said, Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. With that in mind, let's read James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, and just follow along. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven, and and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, people ask me sometimes, um, how do you really get things out of the Bible? I mean, I read it, but sometimes I don't get it, or sometimes I don't get the things I think I'm supposed to be getting. Um, here's, a little, here's a little tip if you don't already do this. One of the ways to get the Bible, and you think about many other disciplines uh, practice this as well, is you just begin to ask questions of it. You begin to ask good questions of it. Here's just kind of a a brief one from what we just read. What kind of suffering is being talked about in verse 13? What kind of sickness is being talked about? Why are the prayers of elders different from others? What is meant with the anointing of oil? Does a prayer of faith always restore? Why does James all of a sudden use an illustration about rain? In the midst of everything. So you could go on and on with this, right? Just just reading a passage and just beginning to ask some good questions about it will help you start to interpret it and, and discover the meaning of it. One of the basics of interpretation too is to interpret in light of context. So you look at sentences preceding and following it, paragraphs, chapters, and the whole book. So with that in mind, as we get to this passage, this passage, you may or may not know, is actually quite controversial and quite talked about and used by different streams of religion to kind of proof text why they do what they do. And it's pretty interesting. I don't want to bring up the controversy this morning. You can read commentaries and jump online for some of that. What I'd rather do, though, is I'd like to lift your eyes and point your eyes to the overriding, quite obvious thrust of this passage. First of all, in the idea of, of uh, interpreting in light of context, James is writing to who in this book? We've talked about this many times throughout this series. Who is James writing to? And if you don't know, where would you go to discover that typically? To the beginning, right? Who's he writing to? To, to the dispersed Jews, right? Right? Dispersed is code for what? The persecuted. They're dispersed because of persecution, right? They've been driven from their homes. They've been driven from their jobs. When he's writing about suffering, he's not just talking about the common cold. He's talking about a life being totally disrupted. The theme of suffering and persecution has been a drumbeat of this. A few weeks ago, it was to patiently endure suffering. The book opens With James saying, consider it all all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith. These are the kind that rock you to the core and test your faith. So we know that persecution has been mentioned throughout this book. And as you read this verse, prayer is mentioned in every verse that we just read. Prayer is the thrust of what we're talking about. Not how long, not how much, not... um, not necessarily the the when or what you do around it the thrust of it is this pray pray so this morning, we're going to talk about just a couple of things. And the way the morning is going to go is this. I'm going to have a shorter teaching time, and we're going to get up. And, and for you kinesthetic learners that like to learn while you move and have a hard time sitting still for a long time, this morning is for you. We're going to have an opportunity to get up and move about and use the, the space of our sanctuary this morning um, in, in worship. Now, the truth is that uh, there's, there's three alls I want to point you to. One is that all suffer and struggle and hurt. And as many of you know this morning, much of the worst pain in life is not physical. You can deal with physical pain sometimes much better than some of the words that have cut you deeply years ago, than some of the things that you're wrestling with right now, personal deficiencies that you see in your life that are just painful. And you say, What I wouldn't give to have just had a a severed artery somewhere, or a bad ligament somewhere, where I could see my knee. Put a brace on it and deal with it. So some of our worst pain is not physical. The second all is this. All attempt solutions, answers, ways to cope, ways to move forward out of this, through this. So all suffer, all seek for answers, and thirdly, all require faith. Don't be deceived to think that because you're in church here, you're a person of faith, as if those who aren't in church this morning aren't people of faith, right? Everyone has faith. All the solutions to things that we doubt and don't understand and suffer in require faith because there are things we don't understand. The big question is, where is our where does our faith lie? What are we putting our faith in? Now that brings us to our cowboys dumb, and this is not one I recommend, but it's just it's just one of those things. Uh cowboy's dumb for this week is this When in doubt, let your horse do the thinking. Um now again, I don't recommend this, uh but 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 this this is this is a path. Right? Uh, this is a, a little cowboy truism that, that has, that has survived, uh, several decades, if not a couple hundred years. So cowboys turn to horses, Christians turn to God. Uh, I want to just point out a couple of seasons that you might be in, uh, and, and, and the, the truth that we're to pray through all of them. Badwater Basin is down in, the southern, southwestern portion of California. It sits at 252 feet below sea level. Now, let that represent those low times. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. When you're suffering, you feel like you're in uh, the Badwater Basin. As we just said, everyone seeks to make sense of suffering and for a way out. How do I get out of this? How do I get through this? And where you turn in your suffering reveals what you really think is your Savior. Let me just ask you a question. When you are sick, uh, do you treat only the, the physical symptom? Do you ever ask why you are sick? Do you ever go and seek advice, or do you silently sit and endure sickness? Do you make changes so that you're not sick anymore, or do you tend to stay in that same rut, and instead of getting deeper and deeper into it, you just keep treating the symptoms? Now, these are just some overarching things of when you're sick. How do you deal with it? Do you ever stop and ask those kinds of questions? Right now, the the whole country seems to be focused on Obamacare or some other kind of care. And what's interesting is we can get so wrapped up in that, and we neglect God care altogether. We, We think when we're suffering, we think when we're enduring different things, that we must pursue medical causes and remedies. In fact, those are explored almost without end, while spiritual remedies and spiritual causes are almost neglected altogether, or if they're sought after, many times they're an afterthought. Catch this, even for Christians. If you go to a doctor, if if you're sick and and awaiting a cure, and your thought is, if I can just get to a doctor, and that's the only place your brain goes, then as a Christian, you're missing it. You're totally missing it. We go to the doctor for medical attention. James says here, go to elders for spiritual attention. Ask for help. Two side notes. One side note is this. The elders, I don't know if you know this, but the elders are biblically charged with knowing their flock. The elders of any local church are going to be called before God to give an account. How did you shepherd the people? Dave, Ben. Others who will preach, did you preach hellfire and brimstone without the arm of compassion to come alongside and recognize as a fellow struggler, man, I'm with you and I need help too and praise God for grace? Did you soft sell things? Did you not warn of the coming judgment against sin? And all you ever did was build people up and and assure that their self-esteem in themselves was okay. These are weighty things for an elder. Elders, did you go pursue people that that, that you had a sense were wandering? Did you go pursue people who were on the cusp of growth? Elders, did you go pursue people who are just that kind that will maybe never, ever make a peep, but can kind of cruise along for five years? Did you go pursue them and get to know them and pray with them them and walk alongside them in this life? The elders of a local church are called to shepherd well. But let me show you the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. People of a local church are called to call on the elders when they're hurting. Don't sit in a church for five years and say, man, no one ever came to me in my hurting and my suffering. I would own part of that. I would say as your elder, I'm sorry for that. And for the deficiencies of that, I ask your forgiveness. But on the same time, I would challenge you with what James challenges you, and that is to say, why didn't you follow the biblical mandate to reach out to your elders and others in the body? Why didn't you allow others to to share that burden with you? Here's a second side note. A second side note is notice that James did not say, uh, call the people with the gift of healing so that they can be healed. That may mean a couple of things. It may mean that there's no magic formula to this, that you just get someone with the, the, the gift of healing and boom, it's done. It may mean that that gift was rare even in James's day. It may mean that that's a part of things, but there's, there's, there's a protocol and a prescription. The general prescription is get the elders around you praying. That's what he calls for. All right. Bible speaks today as a, a great commentary series, and uh, one of the commentators in that says this: "Prayer may not remove the affliction, but it can certainly transform it." Before we move on from suffering, uh, I just want to bring up this notion that James puts together sin and sickness, and to ask this question: How are sin and sickness related? Um, there's a there's a couple of errors in this, and and one of them is to assume that all sickness is sin or a, a lack of your faith. That if you ever have a sickness that's chronic, that keeps coming back, there are those that will mistakenly tell you, you don't have enough faith. What does that do to you as the sufferer? It doubles it. It doubles your suffering. Because now you're a failure. Your faith is a failure. How much faith did Jesus say it takes to move a mountain, the faith of a mustard seed. you seen a mustard seed lately? It's tiny. Does God really need you and your faith to, to, to be able to overcome this? That's the question. The other assumption is that every time you're sick, it's a result of your sin. We know that Jesus blew that apart by saying, you know what's going on here? The glory of God is going on here. Hey, Jesus, wh- whose sin was it? We have to attribute someone to, bl- someone to blame for this guy being born blind. That had to be the parents, right? I mean, they had, they, they got to be sinners. Let's pin that on them. Or maybe it's him. And people still try to do this today. Talking as if they're the sovereign and, and know all, it must be someone's fault. If not that person or their parents, maybe it's their community group leader that wronged them. Maybe it's the church. It's probably the government, right? And we love to do this. Not all sickness is tied to sin. I suppose the other error in all this, though, could be that you neglect confession, spiritual help when you're sick. And instead, just treat the physical symptoms of it. Never stopping to ask the question, is God maybe trying to slow me down and get my attention with something? Gee, I've been flat on my back for six weeks in a hospital bed. Much of what I have is being lost. Is God doing something here that's bigger than than my broken back or than this sickness that came on me suddenly? Here's a couple of do's. One is confess your sins, James says, against one another and to one another. He says do pray for one another so God may heal you and them. And the implication is Physically and spiritually. So if we let this passage just remain, if our prayers are always just for physical healing, God's financial blessing, smooth sailing, Christian, let your prayer life go deeper than that. If all you ever see is spiritual attached to it, and all you think about is, my faith better get mustered up more so that things can go good, that's a form of religiosity too, where you're performing for God, you're working for God, so that you can get something in in, in return. That's not covenant language, that's consumer language. You pay me this amount, I'll get you this much back. You pray this much, I'll give you this back. You don't live up to your end of the bargain, you're getting dinged for that. There's a, there's a premium that you didn't make, and so I'm going to ding you in some way. Let's erase that thinking from our lives. Martin Luther said about confession, when I admonish you to confession, I'm admonishing you to be a Christian. It ought to be the normal, natural rhythm of our lives and our families and our marriages in our individual relationships as a church to a community to be walking around in a lifestyle of, of repentance. That's when the gospel becomes rich and glorious to you. That's when what Jesus did on the cross becomes all of our saving hope. That's when we sing with gusto and get excited, and that moves us on to Mount Lassen. Mount Lassen is um, at 10,463 feet, and I should know, uh, I would go there almost every summer. We would climb to the top of Mount Lassen, and the biggest impression to me as a camper near Lake Almanor was that there was snow on Mount Lassen almost year-round. I could be blazing hot down at the lake and be hiking a few hours later and be in snow. And I thought that was one of the coolest things. So we've just gone from one of the lower points in California to one of the higher points in California, over 10,000 feet. Verse 13 says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Don't you love the Bible? In two words, is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? James does this sweeping thing to encapsulate much of life. There it is. Some are the valleys, some are the peaks. What does he say? He says, let him praise. Now, I don't want you... I'm I'm a big advocate for not saying that worship begins somehow when we start singing. Worship is so much more than that. And sometimes we say, we're going to worship now, and that means we're going to sing now. I never want to use those interchangeably. Because what's awesome is that all night long while you and I slept... There were angelic beings that would cause all of us to fall flat on our faces like we're dead people who've been worshiping around the throne of heaven, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's an awesome picture. What we just did and what we're doing right now, what we'll continue to do, is just joining in with the chorus of that. It's a powerful picture. However, singing is a part of Christian worship. Psalm 40, verse 3 says this. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I want you to note that James didn't say, is anyone among you have incredible circumstances and is super healthy? Well, let him praise. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone among you happy? Is anyone among you uh, joyful? How are the circumstances? It doesn't matter. That's not what drives a Christian to joy and happiness. I would say that a cheerful Christian is a right thinking Christian. Those of you who are joyful this morning are just, are just right thinking. Especially if your joy is not bound and tied to circumstances. Philippians 1 is an awesome passage on this. Write that down and go read that this afternoon. You would read this and you'll learn about prayer, by the way, from other people praying. Paul's writing about prayer, about the prayers of others accomplishing things, about his prayer for them. And as you read it, you'd think that he came off an incredible worship seminar weekend. He's in a prison cell. That's where he's writing from. And it's an awesome picture to say, wow, that's That's underscoring, that's a a living picture of what James is talking about when he says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not that into singing. Many people, when I talk to them, they go, do you guys sing at your church? I go, yeah, we love to sing. Yeah, I'm not really that into singing. Now, I get that. And, and I understand, especially when you're new to church, it's kind of awkward because there's not many places that you walk into in your normal life when all of a sudden you're expected to join in and start singing. You know, seventh inning stretch, okay, you know, but it's not required. Uh, so there's, there's very few places, and so it feels awkward to people. But let me say this, that as a Christian, when God does something in your heart, there's something that goes on, and it's exactly what Psalm 40 says. It says that he puts a new song in your heart. All of a sudden, those who aren't that into singing are finding themselves wanting to sing. They are wanting; they have a reason to sing. And it's not just sing because they're into singing now and it fills them up. It's singing, catch it, so that many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's a song for the nations. It's a song so that people can see, wow, you weren't that into singing. And now you're singing like a giddy schoolboy. What's happened to you? It's back to our smitten series. Remember that? You say, "Man, I can't describe it, but God's put a new song in my heart." I would say this: If you're saved, you sing. Doesn't mean you sing very well. Doesn't mean you sing on key all of a sudden. Doesn't mean that you always feel like singing. Doesn't mean that you love music now and that's your main way of getting away and relaxing. Doesn't mean any of that. But there's something that God does in the heart of someone that it wells up in song. Now, between uh, Death Valley area and Mount Lassen is Highway 5. And uh, let me just get you for a second to describe Highway 5 to me. Tell me about Highway 5. What's Highway 5 like? Boring. Boring. That that was the first one I had. What else? What? Desolate. What else? Fast. Fast. Okay. What else? That was a police officer that said that. For those of you listening, listening at home, what else? Flat. Long, flat, smelly. smelly? That's a, there's a story behind that somewhere. You know what's interesting? Not many of you have a positive view of, of Highway Five. It's direct. Dangerous. Dangerous. It's it's also uh, it's also hilly in parts. It's fast, but it's also bogged down, slow, crawling parking lot as you go through L.A. It's also the open road, right? For those of you who love to just get away and go, Man, I just love to drive. Uh, it's, it's all of these things. and. And the reason that it's fitting is because somewhere between Death Valley and those suffering places, those unique moments that we'll remember for the rest of our life that change us for good or bad, and the mountaintop experiences that we only go to once a summer, right, and experience little dabblings, and we don't build a house there, there's Highway 5. And Highway 5 kind of covers all of the in-between. And the, 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 the real instruction of this passage is this. From Mount Lassen to Death Valley and everything in between, pray. In all the seasons of life, pray. Are you hurt? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. Are you ill or sick? Ask for help in the name of Jesus. Are you in sin? Confess it and be healed. Pray. You need answers? Pray. Do you have all the answers? Praise. Say, thank you, God. If you're short on cash, pray. If you have tons of cash, you better pray and figure out what God wants you to do with that. Are you sick and tired? Pray. Are you well and wired up on coffee? Pray and give thanks. In all of life, bored, thrilled, scared, fast, boring, desolate, stuck in traffic, pray. When should I pray, Pastor? Yes is the answer. All the time. Just keep praying. It's appropriate to end a prayer time this morning. It's appropriate to end a prayer time at a meal. It's appropriate to end a prayer time after a time of fellowship with this. God, we're saying amen. We're saying yes to all of this. But the conversation just keeps on going as we head out the room. Teach us to pray in that way. We're going to move into a a time of getting up and moving around now. I want to just give you a couple of things. You don't have any notes this morning, but um, just a couple of thoughts. One is that um, these are four prayer tips very quickly. One is to pray and praise through the Scripture. It's quite possible for our own thoughts and our own sin to come in and corrupt things. Having your Bible open and praying and praising through that is a great way to, to, to just guard against that. Having God's Word hidden in your heart is even better. Because then when you can't have your Bible open, you're driving on I-5, for instance, don't have your Bible open, then, then, then the Word of God can inform your prayers and instruct your prayers. i want to give you this little tip of palms down and palms up praying. You start with palms down, which is just symbolic. You just have them right there in your lap. You could do this while you're waiting at the DMV, couldn't you? You're sitting at the DMV. You want to redeem the time. You know God loves people. his people praying. So you just have your palms down. Symbolic of your desire to turn over any concerns that you may have toward, to, to God. Give them over to him. Inwardly, you give over your anger, your fear, your jealousy, your frustration that you may be carrying. And then just quietly, you just turn your palms up. And your palms up is just symbolic of receiving from God. And you know what you do? You just wait there for him. You don't have to work this up. You don't have to muster this up. You don't have to turn the speed on high and whip it into a frenzy. You just sit there and receive. You know what happens sometimes? Nothing. Nothing. But you know what? Sitting quietly in the presence of your father does something for me. Re-centers me as a child of God. That's what's, that's what's really important. Makes me cheerful at the DMV. That's a miracle, right? It just happened. So here I am. I'm just. A... But sometimes God will answer in powerful ways. You'll receive things from the Lord because you sat quietly in an expectant mode of saying, God, I just receive from you whatever it is you have to give me. That's that's palms up, palms down. Third one is just to, to meditate on creation. It's not worshiping the creation, but it's worshiping the creator through the creation. And for some of you, you just get this. Fall's an incredible time for this. Go on a bike ride. Go on a hike. Go on a walk. If you're lazy, go sit on a park bench somewhere. Just kidding. Um, just get outside. Lay on the grass, look up, and just begin to pray. We, if you go Google prayer images, here's what it looks like. It's all hands, prayer, you know, it's all this formal stuff inside of a building, formal posture, all this stuff. So thankful that's not what prayer is really about. Fourth is this, pray through the events of our times and seek to perceive their significance. Uh, I would challenge you right now in this season, how current is this? I would challenge you right now to have your Bible open and your ballot open right now. I hope you're studying things. I hope you're reading up. I hope you're taking seriously the responsibility, privilege, and freedom we have to vote. I hope that you have your Bible open and your ballot open. Don't just have your ballot open and the current whims that are going on circling all around you. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you to vote one way or the other on things, but I'm going to tell you how to vote. You ought to vote as a Christian with your Bible open. You ought to vote with God on the issues. You ought to vote with God on the candidate. You ought to vote with God on whatever measures on the table. There's no party that we align with as a Christian that is our savior, that has all of the answers. I learned a new, uh, I learned a new phrase. I think I'm going to change my Facebook status to dependent-independent. I'm a dependent-independent because I'm dependent on God. That's my political leaning. That's what I filter everything through is I'm dependent on God. You can do that beyond voting time, though, by just having the news open and a Bible open and say, God, what does the rising price of crude oil mean? What are you doing in that? What is the, the nonsense going on, the evil going on in Syria? What are you doing in that? God, there's a little festival going on in my county. What are you doing in that? And you just have the news open and you're mindful of a sovereign God that rules over everything and notices everything. And you, and you pray in that way. Final thoughts before we move to our thing is this. Understand that there's a progression in the spiritual life. So this morning, we're going to give you time and space to pray. We're going to put into practice what James is saying. There's going to be music playing. In fact, band, you can come on up. There's going to be music playing. And some of you are going to be a little bit like Eli, my son. You're in kindergarten. You're barely starting out in this. Welcome. So thrilled you're here. Let this be a sanctuary where you can explore that. Secondly, be patient with yourself. Just like any discipline, it takes time and practice. So some of you are prayers and have years of prayer under your belt. And you will just move into this as naturally as breathing. Others of you, this will feel a little bit awkward. You'll say, wow, I'm just not used to that. Be patient with yourself. Finally, don't get discouraged. It's difficult to cultivate the inner life. There's an enemy that doesn't want you to cultivate the inner life. It would be easier if I said everyone do ten push-ups right now than to say I want you to to bring your heart quiet before the Lord and and begin to pray. But we're going to take time to do it because we value it. As we move into communion, I just want to center our thoughts around a scripture like I already challenged us to do. Here's how the rest of our time is going to go. <clears throat> um, I hope you will use this building for what it is. Uh, off to my right is the communion elements. And so you can come up as an individual, as a family, and you can celebrate communion. I'm going to read a passage in a moment that talks about the blood of Jesus and the body that he allowed to be broken so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could take on the righteousness of Christ. We celebrate that this morning at the Lord's table. There also should be and could be confession going on. Maybe there's confession between you and the Lord that needs to happen privately. Maybe there's someone in this building that you need to go to and confess to and repent before. Let's allow for that to happen. Up front here, we've made essentially a giant kneeling area where you can come and pray. If you want prayer, come and pray. If you want to pray in a different way than just quietly sitting in your seat with the same posture, come do something different. There's an amazing thing that happens when your body is in agreement with what your spirit is saying. And when you're on your knees before the Lord, when your hands are open before the Lord, it's quite clear this isn't about you. None of you came in here this morning saying, I hope I get to go do that. Instead, we're saying, God, we're before you. Our body is humbled. Our body's kneeling down before you. And we recognize you as the great king. Whatever your nature and manner of prayer, you're welcome to come up here and pray. Off to my left, uh, in the south, they might call it a praise station. But we decided to call it the table of never-ending praise and thankfulness. So that's a long title. But uh, you can come up and you can write things on this paper. And we will just keep unrolling this paper as long as we need to. So you just keep writing the things that you're thankful to God for. And this giant roll of paper, even if we use that up, there'd be more to write. Amen? Yes. Finally, in the back, um, we're going to take up our offering a little bit different this morning. We're going we're to bring our tithes and offerings to a, a place and drop it in a white vase in the back. So if you have if you have come and prepared to worship that way, go back and as a as a symbolic. Uh, act. You just you just go and give that to the Lord. Uh, notice that to your right is the San Francisco Homeless Outreach and some Operation Christmas Child boxes, mindful of lifting our eyes to the world. Finally, along the wall here are these icons that we've been referencing for a good season of time now, six of them. You could discover what they are back here in the Share Hope area. But you can pray for orphans around the world. You can pray for foster uh, kids. You could pray for international students and foreigners amongst us who are Uh, who are in need of prayer. So as we sing, as we pray, uh, get up and move about. Let me close with this. Let me ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside... The privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, he became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever. So that all created things in heaven and on earth, even those long dead and buried will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor